This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Uh, but yes, very pleased to be here at the Birmingham Buddhist Centre. Very nice to be invited up to give a talk, uh, particularly this topic, one that is very close to my heart. So uh, I'm looking forward to sharing some thoughts on it with you. I want to do three things primarily. Hopefully there'll be a little bit of time at the end for questions as well. So you can ask one or two questions if things aren't clear. Or I'm going to start by actually just defining what faith is uh, in Buddhism. I'm going to do the, the standard sort of dictionary definition, but then I want to define it by giving you some examples of it. You can define things in that sort of technical language-based way by referring to your dictionary, but you can also define something by uh, giving examples of it. So I'm going to give you quite a few examples. Also going to look at the opposite of faith, because that helps clarify what faith is. Uh, and I'm going to be looking at it both in a universal sense and in a specifically Buddhist sense. Faith is an emotion that we all uh, experience, whether we're Buddhist or not. But then there's a, uh, that becomes specific within the Buddhist tradition. Then I want to look at the incident that uh, traditionally is ascribed to the Buddha, to the life of the Buddha, where uh, faith was aroused in the Buddha. I'm going to talk a little bit about that as the archetype for how faith arises within us. And then I'm going to conclude just by making some wider points about the significance of faith, what faith tells us about leading a human life, certainly leading a spiritual life. So that's my aims for the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, so the term we translate as faith in Buddhism is sadha in the Pali or shraddha in Sanskrit. That's the most common uh, word for faith in Buddhist tradition. There are actually one or two others. The word sadha in Pali, Pali is the sort of earliest of the Buddhist languages, um, comes from a root sadahati, which means to place the heart upon. It's the literal meaning of the word or the, the sort of the, the etymological root of the word, to place the heart upon. So it's not, uh, in this sense, it's not specific, uh, it's not specifically Buddhist emotion. It's just indicating, uh, well, firstly, the language of the heart. It's using the language of the heart. It's not talking about reasons for leading the spiritual life. It's talking about this. Uh, when, we, when we use the language of the heart... We're referring to things that are dear to us, that are important to us. Yeah? What is closest to our heart is what is most important to us. Uh, so it's, it's using this language. So the language of uh, the Dharma in this way is talking about what we, our heart responds to, what, uh, in a way, what we value. That's the, kind of, that's the way I would define faith in its most kind of principial form. It's a response to value, particularly spiritual values. So I'm going to use the, the, the old trilogy of 
uh, of truth, beauty and goodness as these embodiments of value. They're implied in the word kalyana, uh, if you're familiar with the term spiritual friendship, kalyana mitrata, uh, that implies these three aspects of, of higher values, uh, the aspect of goodness, the aspect of truth and the aspect of beauty. So Shraddha is our response to these things when we come in contact with them. So I want to give you one or two examples. Some of them are personal examples, some of them are more general examples of responding to these values. So starting with truth. Uh, <coughs> just conjuring up a situation, perhaps you've been in a situation at work or in, in some kind of group situation. Could be a, could be a family, could be a work situation where there is the proverbial elephant under the carpet uh, that nobody mentions and nobody speaks about, but everybody can see it. It's this rather large thing under the carpet that nobody wants to mention. Uh, now, when somebody comes to name that elephant, yeah, uh, you might, well, you might have a mixed response. You might have a response of, oh my goodness, what's going to be the fallout from this? But you might also have a response of, someone's actually said what is going on here. And it's a relief. It's a relief to hear the truth. So that part of you that knows the truth has just been spoken, uh, and, and you sort of recognise that and you feel that relief, that is Shraddha. That's my supposition anyway. That's what I'm suggesting. Yeah? So it's a relief to come across the truth when it's just spoken. That's in a, in a fairly straightforward way. Another example of a response to truth might be when you hear some of the words of the Buddha, perhaps particularly uh, kind of very pithy teaching of the Buddha. So something from the Dharmapada, you hear this, very famous verse of the Dharmapada, hatred is never overcome by hatred. Hatred is only ever overcome by love. This is an eternal law. It's just a very simple statement of something that is true, or I consider to be true, certainly the Buddha considered to be true. Maybe that when you hear something like that, you just, you, you have a response of knowing. Yeah? So you see the hatred going on in the world around and that hatred spins around and chases its tail and just gets reconfigured. Just to hear that, that only by love will hatred cease. Uh, it can just, there's a resonance in you with it. Yeah? So again, that is a kind of shraddha response. So that's a couple with, uh, in relation to truth. Uh, goodness, by goodness I mean you know, the ethically or morally uh, skillful, morally good. Uh, so sometimes when we hear incidents in the news, I mean, obviously we hear quite a lot of bad news. Sometimes you hear the good news story. You hear about somebody who has put their life at risk to save somebody else. Sometimes a complete stranger. You just hear a story in the news and something in you is moved by that. Yeah, it touches a chord. You think, it, yeah, you're, you're just moved. You're impressed by the fact that somebody's done that. Maybe you think, oh, well, I, I don't know if I could do it, but I wish I could if I'd have been put in that situation. 
there's a recognition again of somebody doing something noble with their lives, and you know, even even to the extent of putting their life at risk for the sake of somebody else. So maybe you've had that experience when you're listening to the news, and there's a story like that, and it, and it touches something in you. Yeah. A slightly more personal example. Um, I'm just saying this. My uh, this is my mother actually, uh, no longer alive, but. Uh, in, in our family situation, I, my brother is also an order member at Kladebe's name is. Uh, my mother was not interested in Buddhism. She never particularly asked that much about it. But one time she did uh, say to me that she appreciated when me and my brother were at family gatherings, we didn't engage in uh, swearing and we didn't engage in backbiting and that kind of talking about other people in a negative way. Uh, I was quite struck by that. She, like I say, she didn't really have a, a, a sense of a higher spiritual life, but she, she noticed that, and it, it struck a chord in her, and she said she had respect for it, so she didn't ever particularly uh, you know, ask about why I'd committed my life to the Dharma or things like that, but she, she recognised that, and... Again, that's something we can see. You might be in, you know, in your family situation, your work situation. Sometimes there's someone who won't play those kind of games. They won't get drawn into, you know, backbiting or uh, swearing or, you know, slander that kind of thing. And, you know, you have you have a respect for that. That again is shraddha. That's a, that's a shraddha response. Uh, the third one, beauty. And I've got a couple of examples. One of them, I'm actually just going to talk about this painting here. Uh, personally, I find this a very moving painting. Uh, it's actually painted by Amita Joki, who's a friend of mine, so I do know the artist. But uh, there's something about the way she's evoked through the, the visual art medium, through paint. She's, she's uh, really captured something of that relationship between the Buddha figure on the right, if you're looking at it, and Arminda. Uh, that, that moves me very strongly, actually. I find it a very beautiful presentation of the Buddha. It's not an idealised form like this. It, you know, you, it's, it's kind of as you could imagine the Buddha uh, walking in India two and a half thousand years ago. But there's something of beauty in that, and she's captured particularly the relationship between the two of them. That moves me. I respond to that. Yeah, it's a, uh, there's something of beauty in that which, which does something to my heart and my mind. You might experience beauty in other ways, in other art forms or in nature, but uh, there's something in the human heart that responds to beauty. There's also the other big one, I think, for beauty, at least in my own personal experience, is falling in love. I mean, falling in love has all kinds of aspects to it many of which are not straightforward and quite often involves a fair bit of suffering and dukkha. But my experience, when I first fell in love uh, uh, with a woman called Jackie when I was 19, uh, head over heels in love, then she moved to the States and I was left with this experience of having, in a way, been lifted out of my ordinary everyday experience. I felt I'd, I'd sort of touched something very beautiful. Not literally her, but something that had happened between us. Uh, I made a, a few futile attempts to try and communicate that in poetry and things. I, I was nowhere near up to the task. 
but there's something in falling in love that can uh, hold up something more archetypally beautiful. It can be a way of coming in contact with what is beautiful. What you do with that in, in falling in love is another matter, but I think there is something of, of beauty in that often. So again, this is a response of Shraddha, this, this thing in us that is capable of recognising that and responding to it. That is what Shraddha is in its most kind of principial form, but also in its, its most general form. This isn't specifically Buddhist. So every human being has the ability to respond to these values. Yeah? Sangharakshita, my teacher, has this aphorism, faith is innate, doubt acquired. So what he's saying is that this ability to respond to value is present through having a human form. We all can respond to value. It's not something that you have to manufacture from outside. It's not something that you have to get from out there. It's already present within you. And I can guarantee that every one of you here has had this experience of responding to value in some way. Yeah? So it's not something added on. Shraddha is, is integral. Faith is integral to being alive as a human being. Uh, another of uh, Sangharakshita's, he, he says some wonderful things about faith and I'm, I'm going to come back to this later in the talk, but Another of his sort of ways of evoking it, he says, faith is the response, even the emotional response, of what is ultimate in us to what is ultimate in the universe. So when we're recognising value, when our heart is responding to value, it's pointing back to us that we have that value in potential within us. We can do the good act. We can become more beautiful, if not physically, then through the way we lead our life, we can speak and communicate the truth more fully. Yeah? So it's, it's, uh, it's a resonance with something outside of us that also points back our own potential, what we can become. Yeah? Um, so, uh, I also want to say a little bit about... <coughs> What is the opposite of faith? Um, sometimes in Buddhism we talk about near enemies and far enemies. I'm only going to look at what you might call the far enemy, the complete opposite of, of Shraddha. So there is this term Ashradya in, in Buddhist language. Uh, this, in a way, is uh, a kind of an active denial of value. Yeah? Uh, it's cynicism. So... We come across this quite a lot in the media. You might come across it, well, you might have find traces of it in yourself. You might come across it in situations where people actively try to undermine higher values. They'll tell you, oh, that's just pie in the sky, or that's nonsense, or... I mean, sometimes there are views that, you know, will just reduce everything to a biological level. You know, we're just about reproducing our genes and things doesn't acknowledge a higher dimension to human life. Uh, sometimes people just think it's kind of cool to be cynical, to be critical, to be uncommitted to any kind of values in one's life. Uh, there's a rejection of idealism from 
sometimes people just think, oh, idealism, that's all just, you know, impractical nonsense. You can't live your life by those, you know, those ideals. It's not possible. Uh, sometimes that's arrived at because people feel their ideals have been betrayed. That, in a way, is a whole sort of separate topic. I don't know whether you're going to have time in your series on uh, faith to, to look at it, but sometimes we we value, we have ideals, and then we feel those ideals are let down or betrayed in some way, and that can lead to a certain kind of cynicism, a closing off of the heart. You stop responding to value because you think it's been betrayed. This happens. It happens in the spiritual community, not just... And, you know, this community, other spiritual communities, this kind of thing goes on. It's part of life. To have our values somehow questioned or challenged, it does go on. Uh, what it usually means is we've got a slightly unrealistic set of expectations about what those ideals, uh, how they might be embodied in people. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the leading of life is often a lot more messy than we might ideally think. Uh, but so, you know, if we come to rejecting our ideals through that sense of betrayal, we end up at a cynicism where we close down. We close down what it is to be human in some way. Uh, so Shraddha is very much the opposite of that. It's the opposite of cynicism. It's the opposite of, uh, of that sort of negation of idealism. It's the opposite of that closing off uh, to value. So this is the, the kind of start, the, this, this response to value is the start of faith. In Buddhism, it's taken uh, and, and kind of educated, it's brought into relationship with the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, the three jewels. That's the sort of object of faith in Buddhism. Uh, in a way, the three jewels represent the highest values for us as human beings. That's the, certainly the, the Buddhist claim, as it were. So one of the ways you can look at spiritual life is, is about growing this quality of faith. Uh, and it needs educating, it needs affirming. We live in a culture that is unfortunately quite cynical at times, quite uh, willing to bring human life down to quite a low level. Uh, so this is one of the roles of Sangha. Uh, being in a Sangha, being in relationship with other people, spiritual friends, Kalyanamitrata, being around people whose uh, faith is more alive than one, who really not only respond to value, but uh, have you know acted on that, committed their lives to it. Being around that more fully supports the sort of nascent growth of our own faith, our own response to value much more. So certainly in the early days of spiritual life, it's really important we are in contact with people for whom faith is, is much more alive and embodied. So that's the first bit of the talk, just giving a kind of, hopefully, a, a definition and, and a, a definition by example as well. So I hope from that you've got a sense of what this is. It's not something added on. It's not something you've got to aspire to out there. It's something already present for you. It's something that might need to be affirmed and drawn out and directed and brought into relationship to the three jewels more fully. But it, it's something we all already have. The second thing I want to just look at is the in in the classic kind of uh, story of the Buddha's life, 
Uh, it probably didn't happen like exactly like this, but this is the, the traditional account of the Buddha's life. So it's before he was enlightened. He uh, had this in, these encounters with what are called <coughs> the four sights. Uh, so traditionally he's said to have left a very comfortable <coughs> palace or certainly a very comfortable home life and he's gone out into the city and as it were for the first time he sees firstly an old person so he's a young man in the prime of life full of physical vigour and vitality he sees an old person and it dawns on him that that's, what's, that's where he's headed yeah. he too is going to become like that then he sees a sick person and again whether he, you know, it's very unlikely this is literally his first encounter with it, but he sees the, the sick or ill person as if for the first time again he realises even though he's in full health he realises that this is his future if not immediate future then some point in the future <laughs> This is going to happen to him. Then he sees a corpse. You know, in India, they don't hide dead bodies away. They carry them through the streets. They're much more visible to us. He sees a dead body. And again, he, he realises, even though he has full health at this point in time, this is going to happen to him too. It's interesting. It's not that he actually experiences those things directly. He's not old, he's not sick and he's not dying but he, he sees them with this awareness that they are going to happen yeah? it doesn't, it's not like he's overwhelmed by the actual experiences it's an awareness that they will happen to him but then he also has this fourth sight uh, the fourth sight this is in the India of two and a half thousand years ago he sees someone wandering like this etc, a solitary figure who's uh, given up the home life. They've put on probably rag robes and they're wandering quite mindfully, perhaps begging for food. Yeah? So there's someone who, in the tradition of that time, they've gone forth from the home life in pursuit of truth, in, 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 in quest of uh, answers to the problems that life presents to us. And it's seeing that foresight that gives him the key to what he can do about the suffering of old age, sickness and death. Yeah? So these two things, the first three sites and then the fourth site, are what we need to cultivate for a deep arising of faith. If we were just to see the first three sites, take those first three sites in, not just you know literally see them, but take them in, old age, sickness and death, uh, it would be easy to arrive at a kind of uh, depression or even despair about what one could do with one's life, knowing that they are your future, knowing they are coming towards you inexorably, day by day, they're getting closer. It would be easy just to fall into a yeah, kind of despondency. On the other hand, if you just saw the fourth sight without seeing those three sights, you might just think, oh, he's just... Some guy walking around in, a, in his robes and with a bowl, so what? You know, I'm quite happy with my life as it stands. I don't need anything more. It doesn't register with you. Yeah? So you need both. You need this kind of sense of life, your life as it <coughs> is lived now, is not working in some way. It's not satisfactory to you. It's either characterised by a lot of suffering or there's 
just this awareness that it's not giving you the meaning, the satisfaction that your heart longs for. Yeah? Uh, so yeah, you need that disillusionment, but you also need to come in contact with values. So in the Buddha's life story, his seeing of this foresight, the wandering holy man, that's his contact with values. His heart, presumably thrilled at that sight, thinking, ah, there's something I can do. Yeah? Traditionally, this leads to the Buddha going forth. He gives up his, uh, well, traditionally a royal background, but certainly a, a comfortable, privileged background that he had. And he, he gives that all up, and he, and he goes out onto the open road, seeking freedom, seeking truth, seeking the answers to this existential situation that he feels himself to be in. He goes forth. So faith, when it arises, uh, it's not just a sentiment. It's not just something that we feel and don't act upon. Faith leads to, you know, fully experienced or developing one's life. It leads to actually shaping and changing what you do with your life. Coming in contact with values combined with this sense of uh, unsatisfactoriness leads to the, a change in the way you go about your life and what you orientate your life around. You start to orientate your life more and more around these values of, of goodness, truth and beauty. Um, I'll just give you a couple of examples for me of uh, how I sort of encountered um, distinctive moments for me. Um, in terms of this arising of faith. So when I, I grew up, uh, or I sort of became conscious of myself in this world in the sort of mid-late 70s, early 80s, uh, culturally it was a bit of a nihilistic time. You know, the idealism of the 60s had kind of evaporated. Uh, there was punk, uh, quite a bit of cynicism around it. There was the rise of Margaret Thatcher and... Uh, materialism and you know people seeking uh, money for themselves uh, quite a lot of unemployment all that sort of thing going on and in the particular family I grew up in I don't there, there, we there was a, a kind of a hedonistic tone to our life you know life was about just seeking hedonistic pleasure I, I don't feel I encountered really higher values in my in my certainly in my teenage years uh, but I was fortunate enough, my brother, who I mentioned earlier, he got involved with Sri Ratna, became a Buddhist, he's three years older than me, uh, and he introduced me to Buddhism, but one of the things he gave to me, he gave to me this uh, book by Sangharaksha called The Religion of Art. Uh, when I read The Religion of Art, I was absolutely thrilled by it. Uh, it's a brilliant piece of writing, I think so anyway. Um, that upholds the relationship between art and spiritual life. Something that a lot of people don't understand, don't get. But it, it, and he it upholds the value of beauty in the spiritual life and uh, the importance of the pleasure of beauty in the spiritual life. I'd never heard anybody talk like this before. And uh, I found it completely thrilling. Uh, and yeah, I've subsequently, and you know, I have sort of acted on that. Uh, another example I had of it, this was relatively early in my involvement with Tree Ratna. 
uh, I heard a series of talks given by someone called Sabuti on the theme of spiritual friendship, a whole series of talks exploring uh, the, the qualities and the ideal of spiritual friendship. When I heard these talks, again, I had this feeling of being thrilled by it. And I had this very strong experience of, why hasn't anybody told me this before? I've grown up, you know, I, was, I don't know, I was probably 24 or 25 when I had these talks. Why hasn't anybody told me before? Very strong sense of it, you know, that I'd grown up with this, in, in this world where nobody had talked about the valuable, important things. So again, a, a strong response of uh, feeling thrilled and relieved to have come across something that I could respond to and devote my life to, and this sense of, huh? why didn't they tell me this when I was growing up? So yeah, we have this uh, response. Uh, traditionally, people who encountered the Buddha, I'm just going to read you a short little bit from a Buddhist text. This is a kind of fairly standard response in the Pali text of people who've met the Buddha, been taught by him, and then uh, they're moved and overwhelmed by what's happened. And, and this is traditionally what they say. It's a kind of stock phrase, so presumably it wasn't literally said by everyone, but it gives expression to the impact of the Buddha upon them the impact of, you know, high, higher values fully embodied to them. And so this is just one character called Sundarika Bharadvaja, who was a Hindu who'd been conducting a, a traditional uh, offerings uh, and coming in contact with the Buddha. He wanted to make an offering to the Buddha. He ends up in dialogue with the Buddha. The Buddha talks to him, brings him round. Uh, and this is what... Uh, Sundarika Bharadvaja says to the Buddha. He says, It is amazing, Venerable Gotama. It is wonderful, Venerable Gotama. Just as if one might raise what has been overturned, or reveal what has been hidden, or point out the way to him who has gone astray, or hold out a lamp in the dark, so that th those who have eyes may see, so likewise has the truth been explained by Venerable Gotama in various ways. Therefore, I take refuge in him, his Dharma and his Sangha. I wish to enter the homeless life and to receive the higher ordination near the Venerable Gotama. So this is how they sort of express this meeting with the Buddha, you know, a, a life-changing uh, experience. Uh, it is amazing. It is wonderful, Venerable Gotama. And then they give these four similes, just as if one might raise what has been overturned, reveal what has been hidden, point out the way to someone who is lost in the world, uh, and hold out a lamp within the darkness. This is how they feel when they in you know, come in contact with these values. Very sort of thrilling experience, moving experience. So that's the, the way that it's been expressed in tradition. Uh, in a way, that's uh, that's sort of not dissimilar to what I was trying to say about reading a religion of art or uh, encountering spiritual friendship. Something, ah, yeah, I've got to respond to this. This is so important, I have to do something about it. 
so yes, this, I don't know, again, maybe uh, you'll have time to explore these full sites, we'll see. I, I'm not going to be doing the next few weeks, but uh, they're the kind of archetype of how faith arises. You need both things. You need this sense of dissatisfaction and you need to be in contact with what embodies something higher. Out of that, the spark of faith arises. Yeah? Um, so, then I want to just uh, move on to making one or two wider points about faith and also what faith says about how we lead a spiritual life, what it says a bit about Buddhism as well, actually. So, uh, often when we think of Buddhism, often when we're told about Buddhism, or often when people ask about Buddhism, they're given the answer that Buddhism is uh, the response to suffering. It's the Four Noble Truths. This is quite often given as the kind of key distinctive teaching of the Buddha. So the truth of suffering, suffering happens, it's a universal experience, it happens to all of us. Truth of the cause of suffering, which is in Buddhist terms, thirst or craving, tanha. Truth of the cessation of suffering, and then the truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Uh, now it's, oft, it's true, we do often come to the Dharma seeking an end to our suffering. That's in a way partly what led the Buddha to go forth, you know, his awareness that he was going to grow old, get sick and die. Uh, that's partly what led him onto the path. Um, but I think there's a bit of a, a danger when we conceive of the Dharma purely in these negative terms. Negative in the sense of they're just uh, emphasising what is going to end, you know, what we want to be free of, not what we're moving towards. Uh, so, unfortunately, I think this is still quite present even in the, the, the modern world. And uh, this sort of overemphasis on the, the negative aspects of suffering and, and being free from suffering it can lead us to distort what the nature of the Dharma is. Some people, uh, unfortunately, they, they plunder the Buddhist tradition for techniques, for teachings, just to help them in a, in a kind of utilitarian way to overcome something of their suffering. Now, I don't want to say that doesn't have its value. It can be helpful for people to learn some of those techniques, to learn some of those teachings. Uh, and it does have an effect. Learning about mindfulness, learning about meditation can definitely help people to deal with some of the suffering in their life. But for me, that is not enough and it, and it doesn't do justice to the riches of the Dharma that are being offered to us by the Buddha. Um, Buddhism, in a way, is something much more than just a response to suffering and trying to bring about the end of suffering. Uh, in a way, Buddhism upholds a whole vision of who and what we can become, positively, as well as what we can be free of. Yeah? So, I mean, you know, in a way, this is simple uh, carrot and stick stuff, <laughs> just to bring me back down to earth. Sometimes we're driven by a stick. Our life's not working, we're suffering a lot. What we're 
doing with our lives is not helping to relieve that suffering. We've got to find something to, to work with that. Uh, we're driven by the stick. Other times, maybe more by the ideal, the fact that we, we feel a sense that we can respond to something more. Yeah? So, in a way, this is where faith is so key. Faith is what opens up this much more positive vision of what we can become, both individually and collectively, what we as human beings can create uh, for ourselves and amongst ourselves. Yeah? We can create something very, very different from this world that we uh, normally exist in and inhabit. So, in a way, this is what I mean when I talk about faith being a key to the mystery of life. So I, I, I really like to encourage you if, if you resonate with those things I was saying about the response to goodness, truth and beauty if you can identify something for yourself of that experience this one might be quite different examples from the ones I've given but I'm hoping you can have a sense of that really strongly like to encourage you to believe that response and to begin to trust it and act on it more fully. In responding to value and in educating that faculty that we have, this intrinsic, innate faculty of faith that can discern value, we begin to unlock the mystery of life itself. That is what we are here for. We are here to embody these values, these values of the Kalyana, the spiritual, the good, the true, the beautiful. It's the potential for every single human being on this planet to do that. We can all do it. We can all do it in different ways. We can manifest it to different degrees. But it's that, that faculty of faith, that ability we have to respond to value that unlocks, uh, well, it gives us this, the key to the mystery of life, to living a full and satisfying and a deeply meaningful life, yeah? So not just a life, not a Buddhist life that is just about uh, uh, bringing uh, an end to suffering. Not something, you know, Buddhism isn't just about utilitarian practices to bring about the end of suffering. It's about opening up to much, much richer perspectives of what it is to be human, what it is we can create with our lives, what it is we can create with others. Yeah? So I'm going to just finish and then we'll have a little bit of time for questions with uh, a quote from Sangharachita, well my teacher uh, and I say he says a lot of different things about faith, he really rather brilliant the way he describes and evokes faith and sees its importance in spiritual life, personally I'm very very grateful to him because I feel my understanding of faith, my own experience of faith has really been brought into being and nurtured by his teachings and understanding. Uh, but he, he gets to the, sometimes you can read the, diction, the, the the usual dictionary definition of faith in Buddhism is faith in the three jewels, you know, you just get that. Well, what, well, what does that mean? Sangharakshita sort of gets much more to the heart of it. So I'll just conclude with uh, one of, I mean, I could have read a whole number of things of his, but I'll just read you this. So he says, faith is of great importance in the Buddhist spiritual tradition. This kind of faith is not blind belief. In the Buddhist context, faith is the authentic living response of the whole being, especially the emotional part of our being, 
to something which we intuitively perceive to be greater, nobler, more sublime, and more worthwhile than ourselves as we are now. Something to which we feel we ought to dedicate ourselves, surrender ourselves. Something for the sake of which we ought to live. Yes, so he's saying faith is this, opens up this uh, mystery of why we're alive in the first place, what life is about, what we're here to do. Well, I, I'm going to just read it again because it uh, has a chance to register a bit more. Faith is of great importance in the Buddhist spiritual tradition. This kind of faith is not blind belief. In the Buddhist context, faith is the authentic living response of the whole being, especially the emotional part of our being, to something which we intuitively perceive to be greater, nobler, more sublime and more worthwhile than ourselves as we are now. Something to which we feel we ought to dedicate ourselves, surrender ourselves, something for the sake of which we ought to live. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 